Hello. May it never get old. Hello. Welcome to I was about to worship. say, has it gotten old already? <laughs> I don't know. Absolutely not. <laughs> Better yeah. every time. Uh, I'm your host, Dan Pihacek. Uh, I work at a place called Old Blood Noise Endeavors. Uh, I am a pedal designer there. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Andy Othling, as always. What's up? Uh, he is... And uh, just an effects pedal guy in general. He's uh, he plays lots yeah, of interesting sounds. Yeah, sorry, I'm not gonna overdo it. I try not to overdo it, but I'm having fun over here. All right. And uh, yeah, this is object worship. Basically, uh, we're just gonna hang out. We're gonna talk about tangible things and how they help us create intangible things. And um, whoa, have you been saying really that it. on the previous ones? I, I may have said it last time. It's a new thing I'm playing You've around with. You've had good lines. Um, so I just can't remember if it's I'm, the same ones. I'm trying not to repeat the same thing like every time because that, that feels like it gets old pretty quickly. I was like... No, that's like uh, exactly like the, what people do, right? I suppose that's true. It gives a certain sense of like... What's Ira Glass say every it? time? What does he say? Does he say something every uh, time? Uh, this, he says this American life usually. Well, um, and, yeah, uh, <laughs> that you can't. We we do say object worship every time, I suppose. So. <laughs> we do say object worship. Uh, but yeah, welcome to the podcast. This is uh, this is episode three for us. So we are, I don't know, we're trying it out. We're starting to find something. We're something, um, yeah. A little, little behind the scenes glimpse. Uh, episode one actually launches like four or five hours from from the moment where we're from recording. right now. So you folks are in the future. Uh, you're you're well versed in this thing, and you have outside opinions on it we you know more than like we in do. this little silo yeah you know what the public thinks you are the public that thinks have we been canceled already for our opinions maybe who knows i don't know a lot of hot takes on the dl4 i'll tell you that much <sighs> yep <laughs> <laughs> all right let's oh, get into yeah. it they uh, were hot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we have um we have a hotline, a hogline, if you will, um, that we've been asking people to call into. Uh, it's been interesting so far because obviously people have not because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, anything. Yeah, we're just saying like, please call us with your thoughts. And we haven't really been helpful either. No, yeah, we, there's been very little guidance on it. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious if uh, anything fun has come in on the uh, on the old hogline, Andy. Yeah. So object worship, object worship. Yeah, I was, was going to say, Seth, hit that, hit that thing, and. He's smiling so big right now. He looks so good. Um, I hit it. I, I was, was going to say, I think I need to come up with a slightly more substantial theme for that. That includes the word hogline. Yeah, Wait. that tracks. So, I think it's a good goal. I, I, I think I'm going to do that. Anyway, um, so and now that the podcast is actually out, you can actually act if we say to do something at this point. So call the line and and just I don't know. Here's here's all I know. You know, keep it short. Maybe we got one here that's two minutes, seventeen seconds long. I'm not gonna play the whole thing. We're gonna play part of it. I'm not gonna play the whole thing, folks. Um, here here's an example one that's really good. We don't need to talk about this too much. We can just move on immediately potentially. But it's an example of a really good uh, vo- uh voicemail thing. I love Dan just because he he hates kids so much and. The fact that Dan hates kids is why I, I like Dan. So that's just a good example. That's a good, solid voicemail. Length, nine seconds here. Awesome. So we don't need to discuss it or anything. Permission um, to respond? No. Nah, we can just move on to the next one here. Um, that's real great, real great for everyone who watched the live streams two years ago, but real confusing for everybody else. But listen, we all know the truth. And we'll just do. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we're getting into some real uh, and lore here. Just yeah. dropping some lore bombs. There was a there was a live stream where I don't know Brady's kids were at the shop, and somehow it was established that I hate kids, and then that became a running gag that I had to um, c- 
consistently decide whether I wanted to like jump in in defense of myself or be like, that's right, kids are the worst. Really, I think kids so you, are pretty nice. I mean, they're just tiny humans. They're like little us. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but like I was one once. And so I try to have empathy for that situation. Mm, you know? I was never a child. That makes sense. <laughs> or perhaps that still am. It really, it really depends on who you ask and, and when you ask it. <laughs> when? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Dan, you, you made a prompt in the Discord for what, what did you say? What did you ask for for the voicemail think, today? I think I asked because I don't want to give away, you know, who our guests and their their objects are, you know, too far in advance. So yeah. I just asked for uh, forgotten pedals from the 80s or general thoughts about time. Okay. So we got, we got a, what we got is a guy who I feel like has, I think he's maybe homesick from work. He's, he was very sniffly. Um, and he, he starts talking about a, a pedal that maybe you guys will know. And then, and then he ends up listing a bunch of things that he wants uh, you to make in a pedal. So I'm going to skip this. <laughs> I'm going to not play the second part. <laughs> but we can see what you guys think Let about this. Let me talk to you about my desires. Talk to you about my desires. So I've always thought about this pedal called the Boss Digital Metalizer. The Boss Digital Metalizer. Are we familiar with it? Oh, yes. I've heard of it, yeah. John says, "Oh yes, yeah. It's a it's disgusting." Okay, I feel like the old blood excess has been accused of being a digital metalizer, if I recall correctly, because it's they, like a delay distortion unit, right? They are yeah. they are birds. They are birds of a feather, but the the excess is like a pretty tropical bird, and the digital metalizer is like a bird in like a Dawn soap commercial that's covered in grime. <laughs> so, John, you sound like you know a lot about it. Um, th- this 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 uh, person here. Let's see what he what they know about it here. I've never heard it. <laughs> I've seen it in person and I've never used it. It's fascinating. It's the idea is fascinating, though. <laughs> with a doubling effect achieved by short delay and a chorus effect achieved by So he's sniffling right there. <laughs> So, so the, the basically this poor sick man who I hope he feels better soon um, wants better one of these. So, but he doesn't know what it. He's never seen one and and does and never heard it. So he's only like read tales of it, which is kind of interesting. Um, but John, you sound like you know. We haven't even. We uh, sorry. We haven't even introduced you yet. Yes, we did. We'll we'll introduce him in a second. Okay. So right. you know it's. Um, but I, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about here. Yeah, I want to. I want to know our guest's thoughts on the digital metalizer. Oh yeah, Uh-oh. so we have the tropical bird. To, to talk yeah, about yeah. this we bird. Have the bird metaphor. Describe but... this bird for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the the, the metalizer uh, also high. Uh, yeah, it, it's basically <laughs> this very disgusting. Uh, you know, it's the classic like boss, like very heavily filtered and shaped, uh, very fizzy distortion um paired with some chorus and doubler modes um but the chorus is uh it's very wide band you know it's like a digital it's a digital chorus so it doesn't have that sort of softness of like a a bbd chorus and so it's very wide range and it's got tons of like weird comb filtering and stuff like that um and so you pair the comb filtering with like this really just harsh tinny distortion and it you know, it, it kind of is new metal flavored, um, ostensibly. Okay. It, it really does that thing well, but also it's the kind of pedal that you see on like people's, uh, you know, folding table with like a, a mixer, no input noise nightmare setup. Um, very Lay the fucking track. Sorry. I was really late on that, but I wanted to, you said, new metal. <laughs> it's a, it's very much in that, in that, uh, sort of vibe. So yeah, I, you know, it's surprising. I don't know if that pedal, uh, is either worthless or there are like, people who will pay $500 for it. It's probably yeah. one or the other. Um, it might get bad monkified at some point. We don't know. Um, it could happen at any time. Stay tuned though. Maybe Stay we tuned. just did it. I hope yeah, not. This is the moment. I hope yeah. that we just sell some of the Oblad Noise Endeavors excess version two. Um, <laughs> oh while, my while God. people are looking for a modern day metalizer. <laughs> so many people are, are looking for this. It's crazy. 
on, on episode on episode one, I don't think I said anything about Old Blood. And then on episode two, I was like, oh, buy Old Blood stuff right at the end. So I'm just trying to really, really promo it right up top. Oh, yeah. All right. I think we should introduce our friend. So it's episode three. We are joined today by Dr. I'm going to say it, Dr. John Snyder. Oh, yeah. Wow. Of Electronic Audio Experiments. Uh, just Incredible pedal builder. Um, I'm looking at one of his pedals on my desk right now, the the Halberd uh, preamp overdrive. It sounds amazing. And uh, really glad to have you today, John. Thank you for having me. This is a, a very cool podcast. I'm excited to uh, to kind of, you know, chat with you guys and get into some weird who knows what, you know? Yeah. Well, let's experience, get into some weird who knows what. Odd hogs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think I'd say let's just dive right into it. All right. What did, what did you bring for us today, John? What's what's your object? So my what object, are you worshiping? My object is the uh the DOD Digitech PDS twenty twenty multiplay. Um so many names. Uh but yeah. this was what back when Digitech was a line of uh DOD. Um, you know, they were they were they made a very early play into the DSP effect world and uh, this was, was kind of one of the flagships of that line. It, it's, uh, so for those who are not familiar, um, this series has kind of a large enclosure, two foot switches, and there are a variety of, uh, delays, um, chorus, uh, there was a uh, reverb, which is really cool. There was a programmable distortion, um, which is really just an HM2 with like a weird preset thingy. Um, but the delays were such an interesting, uh, sort of approach because, in a lot of ways, they're kind of in this like missing link era from analog delays of like the seventies and the more, you know, full fledged, like, you know, computer style digital delays of the later eighties and the nineties and, and beyond. And so the, the PDS 2020, uh, has it, it, it is a digital delay line, but it's eight bits. It's absolute garbage by modern standards. And so a lot of the techniques to make it sound good, um, all this sort of massaging that was required is very similar to what you would find in an analog delay. And so mm. you have uh, more delay time than you would get from like a bucket brigade ship, but you have all this cool like filtering and companding. Um, you have an analog, the clock is itself generated by an analog VCO. So it's really smooth. Um, the modulation is very lively. And so you have all these cool things that you would sort of associate with a BBD delay. Like it sounds like a very hi-fi analog delay, but there's more. Um, you know, it's basically trying to dump signal into and then out of a string of RAM chips. Um, it creates, you know, it takes your signal and it creates like a one bit sort of stream that just goes in and then back out. And what you can do is you can miscalibrate the clock of this to extend the delay time. In the case of the PDS 2020 to about 10 to 12 seconds before the fidelity starts to really go down the toilet. And so you have this thing that behaves like an analog delay, except it has so much more delay time and this sort of digital grodiness, which is just like nothing else I've ever heard. And so, uh, you know, because of that, um, I, I picked up my first one when I was, I want to say 15 or 16 years old. I got it for 50 bucks off Craigslist. Um, this is where, you know, the bad monkification is going to come back into play probably. But what happens is people find out that Battles and Omar Rodriguez Lopez and various other oh. notorious figures used them. The price skyrockets. People are like, this doesn't sound like the way they used it. And then the price goes back down. Wait, so did and you buy one used or new? I did. I bought it off at some guy on Craigslist. It was one of those, everyone I think has probably done this at least once, a drive-by Craigslist deal. Oh, where yeah. You meet somebody and they like don't even get out of their car and they give you a thing. You give them money. I was in high school. My mom was like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> it was great. Um, I so was. It, it already had some like lore behind it then when you grabbed it. Did. it? Um, so this this goes this goes back to my days on the Ultimate Guitar Forum. Um, there was this Ultimate one thread. Guitar forum. Oh. Dude, UltimateGuitar.com was it was basically like the four chan of of. Did guitar. they have tabs hosted there too? Oh yeah, that was like the main thing, but there was a whole okay. forum attached to it, and it was an absolute cesspit. Okay. Except for See, this I never, one. I never went there, but I definitely got tabs. That's for sure. Oh, it was, it was yeah, so nasty. Same. It was such an, it's such a nasty place, and it probably still is. But there was this one thread called Gear for Post Rock, and myself and a few other people who you know got into Godspeed You Black Emperor at way too young of an age, were all talking about like you know cheap ways to achieve these sounds. And the Digitech PDS series was one of those things because at the time you could easily find them for like 50 bucks. You know, some old blue guy, blues guy doesn't care about a delay that you can miscalibrate or circuit bend to get 
you know, insanely long delay times. Right? Uh, it was it was it released to be a high end delay at all, or just like um, a? You know, I mean, it doesn't. Looking at it, I'd have pictures of it. It doesn't look like high end. I mean, it looks. We're talking crappy. about that like mid eighties sort of early digital pedal technology. Yeah. I was actually I was I was looking into this and I was having a hard time finding when it actually came out. Like indications were maybe around eighty five. I don't I don't know if you're if you know John. You know, I actually am not sure what the exact year it first came out, and I'm also not sure what the original retail price was. Um, you know, would have been vital trivia to bring with me, but it was definitely early eighties and I wanna say um it was probably in the like three to four hundred dollar range at the time. Oh, but that's wow. because it was competing with rack gear. So if you trace the lineage of this type hmm. of approach to d- digital delays uh, the previous sort of like iteration of that was like the old lexicon PCM delays. So like the 41 and the 42 were the same approach, except they were 10 or 12 bit instead of 8 bit. And so the DOD folks were able to shrink this down just enough to fit in a pedal case. But if you look at that enclosure, the whole thing is full of circuit board. Like it's literally like wall to wall. of. Oh, really? It's, it's wicked complicated inside, which you wouldn't expect given what it kind of what it does. Right. Like at the end of the day, it is a very basic thing. And it makes sense why such like a basic, you know, thing like delay, they would have wanted a simpler approach as soon as you possibly could. But this is why I love the thing so much, because all of those measures that you take to get that crappy digital delay line to sound good, impart magic into it, right? You know, like this is like a thing that we see over and over and over again, and not just in like effect design, but also in our creative processes. If you if you find if there's a flaw or limitation that inspires creativity and those edges are what form personality and like the liveliness of it right that's freaking right we've we've definitely talked before about how so much of the magic of an analog delay is actually the circuitry around that analog delay so do you find kind of a similar thing with with this pedal where because they're encountering this 8-bit signal they have to do stuff to it in order to make it seem more pleasing and and i guess i'd also be curious if any of those methods are similar to what to what you would need to do with a BBD if the analog side be- becomes a similar thing. Yeah. So the um, so the first thing is you're limited by the sampling bandwidth of the system, um, which means that you have to obey Nyquist theorem, which means that you have to your clock has to be twice what the maximum frequency is. So you have freaking, two choices there. That's Bill Nyquist. Freaking Bill. Come on. <laughs> I hate. I don't know. I don't know anything. Um, you know, it's like. Uh, you know, it's honestly like to, to kind of be more, more topical here, like the clock knob on the mood, right? It's the same idea. If you adjust the sample rate down, you get all these artifacts. And one of those artifacts is aliasing, which is a digital system trying to reproduce frequencies that are outside of its sampling range. So in, to prevent those artifacts in an analog delay or in a uh, low sample rate digital delay, you filter those away. Um, and so that filtering is going to impart a sound because the filtering is by necessity in the audio band. You know, if you look at like a modern DAC, um, you know, like the modern codecs and like a, you know, state of the art pedal or like in, you know, any audio system, really, those are very heavily filtered, but it's like at 25K, you know, or even higher. It's way outside the audio Mm. band. So you don't, there's no coloration. There's no character to it. You know, that's by design. Whereas with this, you know, you have to filter at like a few kilohertz and that's going to be a lot of character. You know, it's like right in the range where the human ear. There's a lot of trade-offs right there. Doing a lot of stuff. And those filters tend to be in the feedback loop, which means that you have a regenerative effect of those filters changing how the delays sound. And so though that imparts all sorts of crazy stuff too, like how analog delays kind of melt away with successive repeats. Or in the case of certain analog delays, you get that quacky thing as they pass through the feedback loop multiple times. Yeah. Because you have like 0.3 dB of resonance and every single time it goes through, you just add a little bit more amplification until it's, it all concentrates on that one peak. So the PDS has a little bit of that in it. The filtering side, you know, it gives it some sweetness and some, some, you know, some band limiting. It makes it feel more natural in a way. You know, it sits behind your guitar playing, but it's also much brighter than a typical uh, uh, analog delay of five or 10 years prior would have sounded, you know. So then there's also the dynamics processing. Because it's an 8-bit delay, your dynamic range is wicked low. So, you know, you use a compander to compress the dynamic range into a smaller, you know, sort of size. And that means you get better resolution out of that crappy digital to analog and analog to digital converter. But also companders have like breathing and pumping and artifacts. And if you use like the classic parts that are in old analog delays, those have a really terrible fidelity and a ton of distortion and you just kind of live with it. It's part of the graininess of those delays. So it really feels like a missing link between digital and analog delay. It sits right in the middle. And that's, that's like, you know, that's like the, the stock 
sort of impression of it. But there's so much more you can do with this because you can extend, you know, they wanted it to sound nice at all of the ranges that were available to you on the front panel. Um, but what you can do is you can extend the range of the clock frequency, again, kind of connecting back to the mood um, or other FE1 effects that exploit uh, an expanded clock range. That's not what that chip was designed to do. You can extend the clock way far out. And so you can get really long delay times that are all crunched up and aliased and really gross. But there's also this kind of like weird digital harshness to it as like the VCO itself starts to break down when you miscalibrate it. There's a lot of really interesting interplay that comes into this. And so that whole thing, in for me, it informed years of musical process because I had this like disgusting lo-fi looper with a ton of limitations. You know, it wasn't a punch in, punch out, start, stop looper. It was like, yeah. I have 15 seconds of delay to play over and it's not very good fidelity. And every pass through, it's going to get worse. So how does that inform the sounds that you make, right? But like, that was what got me into making like, you know, ambient drone type music. Yeah, I, I was interested. So this is a pedal that I think you've mentioned to me before and seems interesting, but I, I had never really looked into it until we were approaching this episode. And I was like, all right, well, let me let me learn a little bit. I still, I, we haven't quite talked about it yet. I can't overstate how crappy it looks. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty fugly. I actually, so I have two of them here on my desk with me. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, I cannot show this to the podcast, but here's what one of the toggle switches sounds like. Um, but anyway, um, so <laughs> I actually have two of them that are I, I interrupted you about <laughs> I have two of them I just, that are I'm looking at it like God. It looks so bad. It is. It yeah. is. It is. Brutal. And it's really yeah. just the nine volt battery case. Like what? That looks well, like even, someone. The battery came out and they're like, "Oh shit, we gotta put something on there." Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> the know. Uh, you know, on most of them, that battery cover is long gone. Yeah, I imagine. Just, yeah, holding it in place, it just—it's not captive, you know. So if, if it pops off, it's it's just gone, or it'll crack in half. Um, Anyways. Sorry, Dan. I just wanted to get get the listeners some at least something to think about. It looks yeah, like crap. I think think about for crap. the listeners, like <laughs> if you can look up a picture of this thing right now mm-hmm. just to just to get a yeah. visual for it. Yeah. It's um, very it's I, very it's very it's very much a product of its time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much that like, all right, we're going for simplified high tech and the year it's nineteen eighty four. So that's why I, the, I, I've I so I have four of these. Um, <laughs> because my long-term goal is to put four of them in a matrix mixer and then have like a, a whole looping setup built around those. Um, uh-huh. but two of them have been rehoused because the battery door fell off or the switch is cracked in half or something <laughs> of that nature. And so it made it unusable because of course if the battery door is gone. There's a window right into the circuit board. It's great. <laughs> Sick. Very reliable. The, the looping element of it is interesting to me because, um, we did, we talked about the the DL4 on on the last episode and how the looper mode was sort of an afterthought but it then so greatly informed so many future loopers mm-hmm. and it feels like the PDS2020 is an, an interesting approach where it's like like you say you don't have like start stop play record it's just kind of like it seems that there's basically two foot switches and one is engage or disengage the delay and then the other is make the repeats infinite yes, and so yeah. it can kind of lock in a loop or you can make the repeats infinite using the knob and to, to overdub, but then you hit the foot switch, then it locks it in again. It, it seems like a very, it's a very like sound on sound approach to looping, but yes, with absolutely. that extra digital twist where it doesn't have to go sound on sound, I guess there is a way to actually lock in something and have it not degrade over time was the impression I got, but exactly. again, I have not actually played through this. Yeah. And, and so, you know, so you have like your normal delay controls and so you can set the feedback where it's just going to go forever. Right. And if you have a really long delay line and the feedback's at like 90%, you can add loops that will slowly decay over time, um, which is like the Frippertronics, you know, sort of yeah. like extra long tape reel thing. Um, but this, the hold function is kind of like on like a DD3, you know, where you can just like get it to like take a little snippet of sound and just bop, 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 play it over again. Um, and on this one, the other nice thing about it is that it shuts off the input to the delay line. And so you can do some interesting stuff where you kick it on and off. And you let, you know, chunks of sounds into the delay line, but not the whole oh. sound. So you can play a chord um, and then open up the the infinite, you know, like the loop function and close it again. And just the tail of that chord will get sucked into the buffer. And if you punch in, punch out at different times, you can build up these not quite rhythmic, but still, rhythm, you know, like it's hard to get it on time. But you can build up these interesting rhythmic structures where it's almost like, you know, to, to connect back to the DL4, it's like sort of, you know, minus the bear meets stars of the lid. Where there's sort of yeah. these, like, it's like a blippy bloopy thing, but um, it's hard to keep it structured, which means that you have to fight with it a little bit, which means that your improv is going to be 
altered accordingly. So it's just a really powerful thing in that regard. And it's a pretty uncommon approach to looping, especially in the modern era of punch in, punch out, get your shit synced up. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, there's no there's no approach to syncing it because it's just determined by that delay time. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, on the DL4, for example, you can say you can do like a double time, half time thing. Yep. And you get these clean octave repeated versions because you just hit a button and it does it. Whereas on right. this, you turn the time knob and it's like turning the time on any yeah. analog delay or whatever. You hear like a pitch sweep and mm-hmm. then it's just like everything is now stuck in that mode it's like you can't get back to it yeah exactly <laughs> you've, yeah. you've mangled funny, the existing like, sound if the if the loop is in hold mode you can change the pitch of the loop and you can get back to where it was before but if it goes in too many times around at a lower speed it will be sonically degraded by the time you go back because every time it's passing through the memory at the lower sample rate it's going to lose some information which is pretty yeah. interesting that is um, cool so there's like it's just very it's very organic you know Uh, i know that's like a very overused word especially when talking about guitar tone but i think it's because the clock is itself analog um there's a lot of interesting things that happen by being able to change it in real time Um, there's nothing stopping you from directly manipulating the entire sort of heartbeat of the system and there's even some fun edge cases that come from this like in one of my units the the pot that controls the delay time uh was starting to get dirty and so if you turned it there were sections where the clock would cut out and cut back in, right? But if the clock cuts out, the delay line just stops moving, you know, grinds to a halt. And so then it picks back up where it left off and you get these really Mm -hmm. bizarre sort of like, you know, almost like CD skipping sounds, which you never would be able to get from an analog delay because if an analog delay clock goes away, then all of this stuff that's stuck in the delay line disappears. And also the delay lines are very short. So there's not like you, it's not like you can fit a whole lot of information in there anyway, unless you have like four or more BBDs in series, which is, very expensive. Whereas with this, you know, you're using like, you know, you're just pushing like a 64 K Ram chip, like way past its normal limits. Uh, you have the ability to do these things that feel analog, but have a lot more flexibility and space contained within them. Hmm. I think I'm starting to see a commonality just for across these first three episodes. <laughs> yeah, um, I was going to say, you know, we too. had we had Tom Majeski talking about the Chaos Pad. We had Andy Pitcher talking about the DL4. Now we've got you here talking about the PDS 2020. Each of these devices is representative of a digital technology that at the time was trying to move things forward, presented in a package that had the feel of something analog. So Mm -hmm. that there's a knob there. And when you turn the knob, you know what it's supposed to do. Um, There's not, you know, there's not a lot of alt functions or screens or things like that that make it feel more like a computer and less like a pedal. But they're all built on digital technology that expanded the the possibilities of of its moment um so yeah it's an interesting commonality across those i'm curious i'm curious to bounce back to 15 16 year old john who um uh decides to get this pedal does the the drive-by craigslist deal takes (laughs) it home and then like okay you've plugged it in like what do you do did you have a plan with it and you just immediately knew what it was or were you totally surprised by by what it was or how did that feel sure yeah so you know so 15 16 year old john um you know had been playing classical violin for a number of years um and got violin oh yeah that was my my first first instrument i started when i was six years old um and uh I, you know, I got into, you know, as, as <clears throat> like middle schoolers and high schoolers, I want to do, got into the pop punk of the era. Um, and I learned how to play guitar so that I could attempt to be cool because I was really, really not cool. I had like a Napoleon <laughs> dynamite haircut going on and, you know, I wasn't good at sports. Um, and I was, I was good at, at grades, which meant that people were like nerd, you know? So I was like, well, yeah, I'll learn how problem. to play guitar and I'll show them all. And, you know, unfortunately, we all, just, we all, thought the guitar would make us cool and now here we are <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just gave me a new a new vector of nerdiness which is not what i expected but i'm yeah. very grateful for it now of course but you know so i was like i was into like this you know i was into you know your blink 182s and your fallout boys whatever <clears throat> but eventually uh you know i kind of was like i was still interested in classical music and i was listening to ways to connect that back to the guitar um and one of those bands that somehow i just found really early on probably from like a cool older friend of mine was Godspeedy Black Emperor. Um, and I was, int- I got interest in like stars of the lid uh, came mm-hmm. shortly afterwards. Um, you know, I got into Radiohead around that time, you know, they have a lot of really creative use of, of sampling and stuff. You know, so I had like, I had like, honestly, it was actually in this ultimate guitar thread. You know, I had like, there were like cooler, you know, like older friends of mine who in retrospect were probably like 18 when I was like 15, 16, who were like, 
oh, you should check out, you know, like Godspeed of Black Emperor and like Explosions in the Sky and, you know, like all these bands, like Sigaros and whatever. So I was like, wow, there's a whole world out there of delay and reverb effects. And I am a broke teenager. So what, what am I to do? <laughs> um, and uh, I had already had some exposure to this. This was my runner up for uh, for this episode. There's this this reverb called the D- the DSP 16, um, which is like a crappy like it was like a it was like a multi effect reverb that Digitech made that went would be good. Like, it would go in like a PA, right? And most of the presets are pretty boring, but there's one preset on there called parking structure, which uh, I, you know, I just like. Is that the biggest like, setting? Or like it's the longest. Massive. It is a massive, yeah. you know, digital reverb. And I was just like kind of going through like the line, just being like, oh, this sounds cool. It sounds cool. And I go to parking structure and I play a chord and it, it broke my brain. Like I've never recovered from that since. And so that was like, wow, oh, I can really get into this ambient thing, which was me just sitting in my basement, you know, like just turning reverb pedals all, you know, it's the reverb, reverb mix on this thing all the way up and just playing chords. So yeah. I knew that I wanted more delay and reverb effects. And I'd heard that with the PDS 2020, someone was like, oh, you can circuit bend this thing. and It'll do crazy stuff. Um, turns out when they said circuit bending, they meant just turn a trim pot. But, you know, I was 16. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, uh, Bro, so I modded I, this so hard, dude. Exactly. I added the judge. <laughs> Trim exactly. pot to it. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I get this thing and I take it home and I immediately take the lid off and I mark all the trim pots with a Sharpie. Um, and I start turning them. And the first one that I turn uh, breaks it. I was, <laughs> it was, I was the bias trim. It was the bias. There's, there's a, <laughs> a trim pot that says the, sets the bias of the compander and it's really touchy. And I was like, oh my God, I broke this 50 bucks down the drain. You know, I'm not going to be able to like get another tank of gas for a really long time. This sucks. Um, of course I was able to fix it. And then I found the right trimmer, which is the, the, the clock setting. And when I figured out how to do that, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is such a game changer. You know, it, it, it just was like the most, to be able to like play like a note and then hear this like utterly like just decrepit version of that note come back to you many seconds later, just was really mind blowing. Like I had no exposure Wait, so to this. Is that pot similar? I mean, using the mood, is that similar to the clock knob on mood? Yeah, it's a similar. So oh. it'd be like it's it's like um, you know the the mood goes way beyond normal clocking. Times. Right. So it'd be like if the normal mood went from like sixty four k to like you know sixteen uh, k, and yeah. you could take the brakes off and go all the way down to eight or four or two k. Right. This that this trim pot is the brakes essentially. And I'm assuming it similarly it would increase the length of the time based effects then, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so like this thing, you know, normally it can do a chorus, a flanger, or like a two second delay. And with, by adjusting this, the flanger becomes a chorus, the chorus becomes a slapback, and the delay becomes a many second long delay. And that's right. what kind of like cracked this whole thing open for me. And that was when I started like getting into, you know, like live ambient looping, like trying to like layer sounds on one another. And also I spent a very long time just making itself oscillate and turning knobs around. And uh, my parents and siblings and pets all loved that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was like, I kind of got that out of my system, but it really like, so many things that I'm interested in, even to this day, can be traced back to my experiences with that pedal and the way I discovered it and what I learned from it. Well, is it, I was just thinking about how, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like your your usage of it requires uh, opening up and at least doing some a little tweak to it. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Experience. Yeah. If you yeah. Take, take the lid off, there's one trim pot. It's down at the bottom right corner, and you just turn it till it sounds weird, and then you're good to go. Which is, in, it's just interesting because, like, the last two, like, the DL4s is the DL4. Like, there's no, mm-hmm. you can do vo- uh, volume drop mods or whatever, but, like, with this, you're saying, like, no, you buy it, if you buy it off the shelf, it's not going to do what I want. I, I got to do this one little thing to it. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's interesting that you, you, the first thing you did was take that baby apart. <laughs> That was, that was what you were going really, for. Something I was really guilty of, you know, like, uh, like I got in trouble as a kid for like taking apart the VCR, you know, like yeah. just one day, like taking it upon myself to just, just pop the lid off and just start pulling things out and seeing what happened. Um, you know, like that was just what I, what I did. And I never, I never really stopped doing that. Just, I, it became Good. a little more targeted. I do yeah. like that you marked the trim pots, like. Because that's that's a key thing. The amount of people that are like, because some people know that, you know, even even back in the 80s, it's like there are trim pots inside that you can mess with to affect the sound. I know the Ibanez 10 series has a lot of internal trim pots where you've got the kind of the, it's set to the most usable version of itself and it has all these knobs on the outside. Mm. But often you can you can open the battery compartment and find another trim pot or two that can tweak it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
so people know this and so they may open up a pedal let's say for example an analog delay and it has trim pots that are very tightly calibrated Mm -hmm. to make it work and make sound at all and you mess with those and you can just tank your your delay uh it's not like fun degraded it's just gone (laughs) so i like your instinct of before i touch anything i'm gonna mark where everything was that was like my my friend who convinced me to buy this because he was like he was like dude you got to get this thing because uh you know like omar rodriguez lopez used one i was also a big mars volta fan at the time you know yeah um you know he's like but you you know and so it was like but it was like this lore that was being passed around he's like i heard if you like tweak the trim pop but no one knows what you're going to do you know and uh so it was a lot of just like you know i was like patient zero for this whole thing like everyone was like dude you got a pds 2020 you found one you know it was like this whole it was so funny like we were all the effects the effects world was just so different at that time right like there was still uh you know there was no one on youtube telling you what to buy um and the you know like there wasn't the explosion of of boutique pedals that we've seen um you know where people were really pushing boundaries like they're just those those weren't there if you wanted to push those boundaries it was you know get your deal for to do weird stuff um or you know circuit bend stuff or just get under the hood and break it until it does what you want yeah dang that was only like 15 15 years ago yeah it is it's interesting to see how far we are from from that the, in terms of trim pots, you were mentioning self-oscillation. This is just a tech question, but is there another trim pot inside that, because I'm thinking about like the looper and like whether that, like the looper just being based on it having infinite repeats, but I feel like I read something about a, like a feedback or regeneration trim pot inside. Does that basically do a similar thing of like, it goes crazy if you crank this and then it stays normal if you put it back at the factory setting? Yeah. So this is one of the other interesting things about it is that like the infinite repeat function is actually more like a, um, you know, it, it is, it's purely digital in its implementation. It just takes whatever's in the Ram and it just keeps playing it over and over again. Uh, I was going to ask about that. There's like an indicator light for Uh, for infinite repeat. What is that? Is it just when you have it active? I think they call it hold. And so when you click click the hold uh, foot switch, that light is on and it just will play whatever's in the buffer in time with the clock and that's it. And so it doesn't accept any new information and it doesn't, the feedback line is an analog, but in the normal situation, the feedback line is analog and it's determined by both the feedback pot as well as a trimmer that sets the optimal range. And the stock configuration of course can't self oscillate. So if you miss mess with that trim pot, then it has the ability to, you know, the feedback gain is more than one and you can, you can get it to self oscillate if you want. Amazing. I'm curious. So I like to bounce back to like that first moment where you take it home. And then sometimes I like to then rock it back the other way where we know that you are working on sending V2. It is like a very complex analog delay. And I'm curious if you've uh, obviously, obviously PDS 2020 like sets you on this path. Um, eventually you become a pedal builder, you know, it's, it's, it's formative in the early years. I'm curious if it still informs the way that you approach making a delay pedal. Yeah, I think, you know, so I, you know, later on, like fell in love with, with analog delays too, you know, like I, uh, like I got an MF 104 before the prices went completely insane. Um, yeah. you know, really, and I had like a, del- a big box deluxe memory man, you know, um, and there was, I was like, I always would go back to the PDS 2020 and be like, wow, there's something about this that still sounds like an analog delay. I really love this thing. But the schematic is very intimidating because it's like all old school digital bus logic. It's all 74 series logic chips. And it's, it looks really complicated if you're not familiar with those concepts, which, you know, after all these years, I'm just starting to get a passing familiarity with it. Whereas with the BBD, it's kind of like, okay, it goes, you know, signal goes in, signal goes out, clock controls the whole thing. There's no like, you don't have to think about RAM and counters and, and uh, you know, strobing and all this other stuff. I hate so. thinking about strobing and counters and stuff. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> um, so, you know, but it did kind of like, it did definitely turn me into someone who really liked delay. And so once I got into analog delays and then, uh, you know, kind of got bit by that bug, analog delay. And when you say get into analog delays, does that also mean like the first thing you do is take that bottom open and check out what's going on if you could mess some mess with some i yeah. did learn this the hard way with my the i had a, i had a deluxe memory man like a big box one when i was in college yeah. um again i wish i kept it because the prices on those things have gotten nuts too but oh, this was yeah. back when you, yeah. could get, you could get one on like harmony central for like 300 bucks you know um and uh or maybe it was gear page one of those forums i like you know, yeah yeah about some random yeah. guy um 
And, uh, you know, that one, I, I learned the hard way that you had to recalibrate it. And so because I, I was in college at the time, so I ended up just taking it to one of the labs and like using a scope in like a YouTube video to recalibrate it. But that was also very scary because I was like, oh, God, what if I break it? You know, but those are fairly forgiving. All things. Can considered. you actually like brick it or break it or just have it sound bad or or like nothing? It'll it'll mostly just sound crappy. It's pretty, okay. it's pretty hard to brick an analog effect. Okay. But. You know, if you're like if you're mucking around in there with an oscilloscope probe and you like short two things on each other, you can you can break something if you're really unlucky. Okay. But uh, but yeah, it did kind of connect to like my later design efforts too, in, in some way. If you, even if it was yeah. just planning to see that like delay is my thing, and not just like delay, but the textures around it and like the all the extra support circuitry and everything. You know, there's a lot of cool. It's all connected. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily something that you can, you know, directly point to like, well, I wanted to add this feature because of the 2020, it's more just part of that overarching story that mm-hmm. that gets yeah. you where you are today. For sure. Why why is it feels like clocks have been around for a long time. Like they've been kind of a core thing for a long time. Why does it feel like all of a sudden people are like like it's a fad or or maybe I'm not even in uh I don't know what I'm saying, but like, what, what, what is it about now that makes it feel like, oh, a clock? This is like an almost a novel thing, even though it's clearly not, you know. See, so you, you guys know that one Brian Eno quote, the one where it's like, whatever you find uh, like ugly or uncomfortable about a medium will become its hallmark for the next generation. Oh. I yeah, think yes, that yeah. um, you know we are, you know, we are seeing that, uh, you know, kind of like sort of that that loop is like tightening and tightening and tightening, you know, where it's like. It's almost no like pun intended, where, right? Um, where in uh, in the process of music making, I think that like any any medium is immediately seen as something that can be can be uh, broken uh, to create different kinds of sounds. And so, you know, in this case, what we're you know what what's happening right now in the era that we're in, uh, we're pillaging the remnants of the early digital age. Um, anyone who's using like a spin processor, for example, Dang, that sounds it, awesome. We're you know, pillaging it, the remnants, <laughs> man. Um, I'm you know, and, and uh, like, I don't know, there's there's probably some postmodern uh, philosopher who's like actually unpacked all this stuff or has attempted to. But, you know, like I think that what what's happened is like there's this, you know, like the 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 progression of thing to nostalgia about that thing to uh, pa- repackaging and recontextualizing that nostalgia into that thing and then creating a new thing that gets nostalgic about. And that cycle repeats uh, is, yeah. is constantly happening in real time. And so I think that one of the ways in which we are able to embrace the flaws of a particular medium um, is by, you know, messing with its heartbeat, you know, changing the clock yeah. of a digital system is like a really uh, it's, it's actually quite hard to do with modern hardware. So you have to find a way to, to circumvent those limitations. Um, and uh, yeah. that's why bucket brigades are still popular. It's why the spin processor is still popular. Um, it gives you a way to, you know, hack something that is otherwise uh, not accessible. You know, if you were to underclock a uh, a Strymon pedal, it would just stop working and get mad at you because obviously, you know, there's a lot of math that it's trying to do. And there are parts that are talking to one another. And if the clock changes, they stop talking to one another. It's just how they're designed. But if you have a system like in the PDS 2020 or in an old school digital delay where everything is in sync, all these logic chips are in sync with one another and they're designed to you know, it's a state machine, you know, an action happens and, you know, the bits move around and it's all ones and zeros that are all in a synchronized dance on one master clock. You can really dramatically change the character by how that clock behaves. And that's also how the spin uh, is architectured because the entire thing is on one piece of silicon and the clock is governing not just the converters, but also all of the, you know, hardware accelerated arithmetic that it's doing. And it's all happening in tandem. It gives you, I think that's one of the the interesting things about the FE1. And by the time this episode comes out, uh, people will uh, have seen our, our BL82 chorus pedal, which is oh, yeah. um, has, a, has a slider on it that affects the clock. And it's literally, it's like a chorus pedal when the clock is all the way up and then stretches into like modulated delay where it pitch shifts up and down simultaneously as the clock stretches out. So honestly, some similar concepts to the PDS 2020 where it's using the idea of a modulated delay line and making it short to create flanging and chorusing and long to create modulated delay. But it's, yeah, something that that 
the FV1 chip, you know, you're talking about the spin chip. People may have heard it as the FV1 chip. It's the spin semiconductor FV1. That oh. is the the brain and heart behind a lot of old blood stuff. And this chorus pedal and then also the, the BL44 reverse that we released uh, last year. That's the concept of it is that, is that you can very easily over or under clock that chip and manipulate it in real time. And the chip mm. will keep up because of that thing you were saying where it's... It, because it's governing everything, mm-hmm. it can go like, all right, we're speeding up, we're slowing down, but it, it, it also doesn't know that it's speeding up or slowing down. It's exactly, simply yeah. using these pulses to do what it does. And if you speed up or slow down the pulses, then it'll do those things, whether they're LFOs or buffer processing or whatever it is, anything time-based, mm-hmm. it'll just shift around. Yeah. So I, I also, I also think just in just bouncing back to Andy's question of like, why now, you know, why are we seeing yeah. more of a proliferation of, of clock controls? Mm-hmm. Part of me wonders if there's an element of um, vocabulary shift as well, that we're mm-hmm. sort of far mm-hmm. enough into the current boutique pedal movement that, you know, maybe 15 years ago, it was all modded two screamers. Mm-hmm. And then it was all basic FV1 programs. And, you know, you can, you can track the different trends, but if people are maybe finally starting to get familiar with the terminology enough that we can introduce them to a clock control and introduce them to the idea that the clock affects signal quality, overall timing, like many different things. And we can quantize it and you make it more palatable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So in something like the mood or um, like the afterneath, like yeah, different things that affect the clock in a quantized way where you hear like recognizable fifths and octaves and things. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, that's because like everything in the system is changing. But if you set it to these specific ratios, um, it helps you understand like, you know, that DL4 looping where you do half time, double time, and you hear it as octave up, octave down. That's, mm-hmm. it's not a clock change in terms of what the pedal is doing, but it's, it would be the equivalent of something like that. You know, you're basically just playing the buffer twice as fast. And so suddenly I, feel, up. I, th- I think on every episode so far, and I wonder if I'll feel this on everyone is like, we get to a point where I feel like we are the guy in the, the party meme where he's in the corner and he's like, nobody knows that. The, yeah. clock, the clock speeds, if you get it, the octaves and eat a fist. Like, I don't know. I guess that's why we do a podcast. We talk about this stuff, but it's just very, it's very funny to think of trying to explain this to somebody else. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. what the we heck? Gotta, what are you talking about? You gotta get about? it out of our systems, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I also, I like having John in the room because I feel like it's, you are like a, a wealth of knowledge uh, of, oh, yeah. of engineering and, and just so many ins and outs of pedal specifics. So I want to like dive deeper with you. And then I also have a moment of like, oh, that's right. People are listening. And maybe like, <laughs> I'm going, I'm trying to go back through and like, do we need to like define anything or help people along the way? But I think, I think largely we've been, uh, it, it's gotten deep, but uh, it's hopefully accessible to the, uh, the listener. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, there's just so much. There's when really you so worship an object, folks. When you worship yep. an object, you need to know it inside and out. This actually. Now that you've brought it back to the actual theme of the podcast, I'm I'm remembering that when I first talked about like maybe maybe it'll be some maybe this will be the idea of the thing. Uh, I was like, and you know, I want to get into it. I want to be like, how do those knobs feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm actually, I'm going to ask that question about your pedal or you have four of them from yep. the, from the eighties. You mentioned one of the scratchy pots. I'm curious about the tactility of like the switches and knobs and things like that. Do they feel rickety old? Are they surprisingly solid? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the switches are, uh, absolute dog shit. Um, they <laughs> are. It is a plastic, you know, we played like DOD pedals from that era. Um, you know, it's basically like a thin piece of plastic on a couple of like metal, uh, you know, like, like springs, essentially like little leaf springs. Um, that's all pushing a tactile switch on a little, like one inch square PCB with wires coming off of it. And so the tack switch can crack in half. The button on the tack switch can crack. Uh, the PCB that the tack switch is mounted to can crack or become dislodged. The plastic actuator can become dislodged or the springs will break or the springs will uh, just magically fly out, uh, which happened to one of mine. Um, so these foot switches are, are just by all. Jesus Christ. <laughs> they're, they're horrible. There they're, was a very it was a very bad design. You know, that was how they were cutting costs at the time, I guess. Um, you know, it was a larger area for your foot to go to. But it was very much like it was it was real like we have boss at home energy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, the ones I've rehoused all have like, you know, sort of modern, you know, just sealed, you know, single pole, single pole, single throw foot switches on them. 
just your classic momentary guys. And that's a lot more robust. Now the pots on the other hand feel way nicer than like anything we have access to today. Like they're super, they're like, they're, they're really like, they feel tough, you know? Um, but, uh, I don't know what they are. Like they look like they could be alphas, but they could be anything, you know, they're, they're super old at this point, but they do get a little dirty. They're not as well sealed as the modern stuff. Weren't you saying that this was kind of, uh, sort of descended from rack stuff? Like, would that be where like those nice pots would come from as being in rack gear? Probably like you in some, like if you crack open some of those nicer, like rack mounted things, like you see pots that have like, you know, big, like metal brackets on them to mount them in place and stuff like that. I don't know where you get stuff like that. We're all just kind of like puttering around in the stone ages sometimes when it comes to pedal <laughs> world. But, uh, but yeah, some of that stuff is pretty, is pretty nice, but, but yeah, it is crazy. Cause like this was, you know, like they, it was like one of the first digital delay pedals, you know? Um, and, hmm. uh, like it was, it was such like a, you know, for them to take like the hardware that was, you would see like in a rack unit was like such a big deal at the time, but I don't think it actually made much of a commercial impact because pretty shortly after boss was like, yeah, whatever, we're just going to get custom chips made that do the same thing, but it's all in one piece of Silicon and you don't have to think about it as hard. And so that's where like, like the DD2 and DD3 came from. Mm. I haven't Dang, fully constructed was... a timeline of this, but like, you know, they, it was very quickly equi- eclipsed by like the, just the, the rapid progression of, of integrated circuits at the time. It's interesting where these pedals sit in the like DOD to detect timeline. Um, Cause I found, I was just looking into it a bit today and I found a, like a history section on the DOD website. Um, that's just like, it's like an about us page with like brief biographical information and you get down to Digitech and it's like, uh, you know, in the eighties we wanted to, um, push digital technology and that, that thing you were talking about where they wanted to put rack things into pedal format. And, um, it, you can tell that they're, they're talking about this, this PDS series of, of pedals, but they kind of tell the overall history of Digitech. And then there's a little list at the bottom that's like, so this brand has, you know, separately from DOD and always pushing the digital envelope created these various things. And it's like the whammy, um, the like jam man looper. There's like a whole variety of things and no mention of the PDS pedals. Mm -hmm. So it is something that is like not part of their public history, except that actually, if you look off to the side, there is a picture of a magazine ad that has one of the PDS pedals on it, but there's no, (laughs) there's no reference to like those as a, as an iconic, you know, boundary pushing element of their lineup, even though it is such a, uh, important connective tissue. Right. If they didn't know how to market it or if they were unwilling to sort of express like its relevance at the time period, you know, like I think people now are a little bit more willing to, uh, sort of insert what they're doing into a historical canon, you know, or at least try to put it in context because I don't know, the, it, the internet makes everything move at, at, at incredibly fast speed. And so you like have to like plant a flag somewhere. Um, whereas at the time I think like they were just kind of, I don't know if they were trying to go for a higher end sort of thing from the boss delays because, you know, like as, as much as like the compounding and filtering and all this good stuff that makes a delay sound more quote unquote analog. Um, it's, it's possible that they were trying to go for a more like high end clientele They were, maybe they were trying to split the difference between the perceived shortcomings of digital and analog delay at the same time. Um, but in, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say for sure. Cause yeah, I think like the, 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 I just, I just Googled it. The DD three came out in, uh, let's see here, 1983. Or sorry, the DD2 came out in 1983. Oh, damn. And so, you oh, know, interesting. Yeah. would have predated this, but also Boss had significantly more resources. Um, and, you know, they were able, they had the ability to create custom chips where all of the, the necessary stuff was in one thing. So rather than a bunch of logic chips all yelling at each other, um, you just had one chip that did everything. So it was clock in, you know, delay out, probably had a RAM on board or maybe used a separate RAM chip. It, I don't really know the architecture of these, but... Uh, just by virtue of it fitting in a much smaller enclosure, it's, it was a lot simpler of a circuit. They didn't do as much analog processing. And so it's going to have a different voice and also be more affordable. I, I found a, there was a, like a magazine ad for this series where they, it was like, it was the, um, I think it was the, the, it was the PDS 2020. And then that yellow, like overdrive distortion thing, Mm -hmm. the the, the programmable distortion and the ad, Yes. And the, the ad was basically like, this replaces five of your pedals. It's like with only three cables, you can do as much as five guitar pedals. And so it seems like they, they wanted people to basically approach them as like multi effects, maybe 
and so there, it was less it seemed less about the like the looper functionality or highlighting what those internal trim pods could do and more about mm-hmm. like listen this is a delay and a chorus and this yeah. programmable distortion it can have all the distortion voices you want mm-hmm. and so and there was a picture of like ibanez pedals there was a dod pedal i don't think there was a boss pedal but i'm curious now if i can find it real quick yeah um but yeah, it was just interesting that that was the marketing around. It was essentially like, just get two of these and you'll replace at least five pedals. For sure. Now, what's also interesting uh, is that the, the reverb from that series does have a fully custom uh, chip on it, you know, but it's like, you ever see like those old ASICs that are in like a big giant square plastic socket. Um, like it kind of looks like the inside of like an old Nintendo, um, like just like a huge, like a thick computer chip with like huge leads on it. Um, yeah, so they, they did have the capability to design that stuff and who knows what's sitting inside that reverb chip. I would love to take a crack at one of those. Um, be interesting, yeah. but they didn't do it for the delay, which tells me that they had reasons, you know, it could have been cost motivated or it could have been because they were trying to go for something very specific. We'll never know. Um, but, uh, I did notice that when I was, I had a friend who recently acquired the reverb and I was like, please send me a picture of the inside of this. I want to know what, what the architecture is. And of course it was just a big DOD branded chip on the inside. What's so the what's the twenty twenty four? Sorry, I, that's kind I of have weird. no idea what the numbers refer to. They called this one the the multiplay. Um, yeah, but there are other ones. There's like the PDS eight thousand sampler, which has even more RAM. Um, there's also at the time there was the RDS series, which was rack mount versions. The same thing that also had expanded functionality. Interesting. I see this bright pink one, the hot box mm-hmm. with apparently distortion and delay in there. Yeah, it's a great name for a pedal. Yeah. I had been trying to figure out why they were called PDS, and you said that it was RDS, and I'm like, oh, rack digital system, pedal digital system, probably. Yeah. Honestly, I, I have no idea. It's amazing or how delay like, system? these acronyms will show up and no one will explain what they are. Yeah, I was like, guaranteed, it's PDS. They Everything is PDS something from the distortion to the delay to the other delay to the reverb. It's like nothing. I could find no reference to what, what mm-hmm. PDS was. Head, Which, head although stuff. now I'm also thinking like we have just released the BL82 and previously the BL44 and people are like, I like to think that there's a podcast 30 years down the road where somebody is like, I just, I can't understand. They never explain BL and it's infuriating. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Blood. Blood. <laughs> well, we, we certainly won't do anything to tell them. <laughs> Certainly not publicly. Sorry, sorry, pedal archivists. People looking back at this, this manic time <laughs> yeah. in history, you know, like scram, <laughs> scrounging around for uh, for cans of beans in like the wreckage of the city of Boston and looking at my hard drive and being like, what is this podcast? What? <laughs> they used to do these things. They used to cast pods. <laughs> they just casting them out. Mm-hmm. It's I like ca- Fallout I, 4. I cast, but with I cast pod at, at fifth level. Um, sorry. <laughs> 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 and on that note i feel like we're drawing to a close and i want to make sure before we before we cap it off that uh john you have an opportunity to plug uh whatever you want to plug so obviously uh, you know, talk about yes <laughs> thank you seth your okay. your pedal company electronic audio experiments but any you know we haven't talked much about you as a musician as well as an engineer so just anywhere you want to point people uh uh tell them where to go yeah totally so uh so yes uh please if you if you uh think that my ramblings had any worth whatsoever um and you like what i'm doing uh i have a pedal company called electronic audio experiments um we make some cool dirt pedals and we're going to be making some other kinds of pedals soon once uh the parts gods finish uh having their way with us um, so you can find us at yeah. uh, electronic audio experiments.com Instagram slash electronic audio experiments, et cetera. Um, you can also check out our sister company, uh, actual music tools, uh, which I'm also very heavily involved with. Um, Hawker is a former engineer at a certain synth company, um, and, uh, designed some really cool stuff and is designing some even more really cool stuff. Um, so if you like delays and weird things of that nature, um, and also he's someone who's taught me a lot of what I know, uh, definitely check out his stuff too. Um, the, if you're curious as to what I've been doing with all these PDS 2020s, uh, I have a music project called Ember Wreath. Um, you can find it, uh, on Bandcamp. If you just, if you go to, uh, I think it's just emberwreath.bandcamp.com. 
Uh, I'm working on a couple of new Hell records yeah. right now. Um, hopefully breaking the ba- the uh, pandemic log jam of just making stems that don't go anywhere. So, uh, yep. and yes, there's like, there are like four PDS twenties on this 2020s on, on this record. And, uh, some very fun sounds came out of the studio and using them because for all of its, uh, you know, precise digital nature, it, it really is a thing to be wrangled. So we had a lot of fun with it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's all my plugs I actually remembered to remember all my things this time. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm excited to listen to, um, the music that is, that is assisted by, by this device. Thank you. Well, yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us today. It's a, it's a pleasure thanks, to John. have you. Yeah, guys, I really appreciate it. This is a blast. We're, we're going to, by the uh, time this comes out, it'll have already happened, but we're going to see you in a few weeks, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm really looking, looking forward, forward to that. To that. Um, yeah. there's going to there's gonna be a pool. There's going to be a pool and a hot tub, oh, yeah. I believe. Oh my God. So, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Just the... All right. And also thanks to everybody listening out there. Three episodes deep now. You're still listening. Incredible. What are you doing? What are we doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you listening to this? <laughs> Episode three. Truly. Thank you for joining us, and make sure to call the hog line. Uh, so just call in at 505-ODD-HOGS, which is um, uh, the numbers of some sort. Andy, can you can you hit him with the actual numbers? Uh, 505-633-45. Nope. Well, uh, 505-633-4647. There you 6334647. go. 633-4647. 505-ODD-HOGS. And um, it's not going to ring. A, it's a gonna question, go, a comment. It's going to go right to voicemail. And it's fine. Yeah. You can just record it. That's great. You can say uh at the top, but then just dive right in uh, after that. And um we might sure uh, we might address your thoughts on the next uh on the next episode. We'll see. We'll see. Hi guys. Can we metalize here? Object Worship is a production of the Obgimi Podcast Network, hosted by Dan co-hosted by Andy Offlet, technical direction by Seth Carroll. The Object Worship theme song was written and produced by Andy Ockley. Music supervision also by Andy Ockley. Thank you to our guest, John Snyder. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host, co-host, and guests. Do not necessarily reflect the views of the positions of OB&E. All rights reserved in 2023. Also go to oldbloodnoise.com. Make sure to, to, you know, buy some other pedals, too. BL82, folks, it's sick. It's fucking <laughs> sick. You gotta buy it. Hell yeah. Uh, well was done, that? Oh, oh get, it, get this guy out of here. Oh, my God. Yeah, where's the host? We gotta stop sending this link out to the public. <laughs> <laughs>